0: Greetings and thank you for tu- tuning in to the this podcast episode focused on Alzheimer's disease entitled Addressing Clinicians Challenges and Misinformation Around Diagnosis of Alzheimer's Disease. My name is Gad Marshall and I'm a behavioral neurologist focused on Alzheimer's Disease clinical care and research at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Our learning objectives for this podcast are number one, to discuss the role of cognitive assessments in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease dementia and mild cognitive impairment due to Alzheimer's disease. And number two, to discuss the role of neuroimaging and the emerging role of biomarkers in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease dementia and MCI due to AD. Let's start with, our, uh, with how to decide what cognitive assessments to perform in patients with suspected mild cognitive impairment abbreviated MCI or dementia and when to perform them. Our first question is, which assessments should be used for a brief screening versus more comprehensive assessments for cognitive impairment, and how do you decide when to uh, use each of those? So a brief screen that may take two to three minutes is something like the MiniCog, or the Ascertained Dementia Eight uh, Item uh, Eight Item Screening Test that's abbreviated AD8 also uh, used as the Informant Questionnaire on Cognitive Decline in Elderly, abbreviated IQ code. So use these type of tests when you have very little time and you want to get a broad idea of potential cognitive deficits. So uh, the first one is is a a brief uh, cognitive test, the others are uh, questionnaires that are very brief as well. But if you have more time Uh, or you uh, find, you know, a positive uh, 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 hint uh, on one of these screening tests, you will move on to the next level of assessment that may take 10 to 15 minutes. And the first test we'll recommend in this category is the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, abbreviated MOCA. Other tests that you could use are the Modified Mini Mental State Exam, uh, abbreviated 3MS, the St. Louis University Mental Status, abbreviated SLUMS, uh, and we use, uh, we use these when we have more time and we suspect a milder diagnosis, such as mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia. If you uh, have somebody who is pretty clearly in a, moder- in a dementia range with mild to moderate dementia as the suspicion, you can use the mini mental state exam or the blessed dementia scale. These are not as sensitive as the previous test mentioned. And when do you refer somebody to a neuropsychologist for neuropsychological testing? So when you have a MOCA or a 3MS or slums, these uh, sensitive uh, tests that take 10 to 15 minutes that are consistent with a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment, and you want a more in-depth assessment, a more in-depth testing, or when you have an atypical presentation, for example, such as primary progressive aphasia or posterior cortical atrophy, you may want to refer the patient for neuropsychological testing. Alternatively, you may refer them to a behavioral neurologist uh, or cognitive neurologist, such as myself, who can perform some additional cognitive testing, maybe for 30 or 45 minutes, um, as well as make management recommendations or directly manage the patient's care. Um, And so uh, that could be uh, the next step instead of neuropsychological testing, which may take three to four hours and sometimes maybe more than is necessary. So now let's move on to the next question. When should primary care clinicians screen for MCI or dementia? And what does Medicare require for annual wellness visits regarding assessment of cognitive function? For the annual wellness visit, we don't require any particular test. It actually requires cognitive impairment assessment by uh, assessment of an individual's cognitive function by direct observation. Uh, with due consideration for information obtained by the way of a patient report or concerns raised by a family member, a friend, or caregiver who knows them well. And so if there is a suspicion for mild cognitive impairment, Medicare suggests that you have them return for a separate dedicated visit to assess cognitive function, and they could be assessed using some of the tests recommended above, such as the MOCA, the 3MS, or the SLUMS for MCI, Uh, and MMSC or or BDS uh, uh, for dementia. The U.S. Preventative uh, Services Task Force and the American Academy of Neurology do not actually recommend routine cognitive impairment screening over a certain age if no symptoms are endorsed by the patient or the family member. However, if, you know, somebody does have minimal symptoms or uh, the family endorses These minimal symptoms in an older adult, say over the age of sixty-five, I would recommend performing at least a brief screening test like the Mini-Cog or AD8, and then of course, if you uh, have impairment uh, on that, then you can perform the more extensive screening test. Now let's move on to our next topic, which is the role of neuroimaging in the assessment and diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment and dementia. The first question I'm going to answer is, what role does MRI or Magnetic Resonance Imaging in Dementia Diagnosis and Evaluation. And what kind of MRI should be ordered and when? So, an MRI allows us to visualize structural changes in the brain relevant to dementia, such as focal atrophy, cerebrovascular disease, masses, and hydrocephalus. We recommend obtaining an MRI with the following sequences. A T1 sequence with thin slices to visualize atrophy a flare to visualize cerebrovascular disease, and either T2 star, GRE, or SWI to visualize micro or macro hemorrhages. And why is an MRI preferred over a CT scan? So an MRI is more sensitive for picking up subtle cerebrovascular disease such as mild small vessel ischemic disease or micro hemorrhages. And so if you have the option uh, and the uh, patient can tolerate it, I would recommend an MRI over a CT. However, if you don't have the option, uh, because uh, the patient has a pacemaker and compatible with MRI, for example, the CT will give us uh, adequate information about focal atrophy and not-so-subtle cerebrovascular disease or masses. So next, I want to talk about the role of positron emission tomography, or PET scans, uh, and and what's their role in dementia diagnosis and evaluation. And what's, also, what's the difference between an amyloid PET scan and a fluorodeoxyglucose, or FTG, PET scan? So a PET scan can provide complementary information to the structural scan, such as an MRI or CT scan. So an FTG PET scan shows glucose metabolism or activity or uh, function in the brain. There are specific focal hypometabolism or decreased activity patterns for different dementias. For example... For Alzheimer's disease, we see temporoparietal hypometabolism, and for frontotemporal dementia, we see frontotemporal hypometabolism. An amyloid PET scan, on the other hand, shows a deposited amyloid in the brain and, as such, is a direct marker of AD pathology as opposed to activity like the FTG PET scan. And the FTG PET scan is not as specific. uh, It is more of a marker of neurodegeneration and and not necessarily specific Alzheimer's disease pathology. There is utility in amyloid detection for patients to qualify for anti-amyloid therapy. Since so only about 50 to 65% of uh, patients with amnestic mild cognitive impairment have elevated amyloid in the brain, and about 80 to 85% of patients with a clinical diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease dementia have elevated amyloid in the brain, it is really important to test for the presence of amyloid, say through a PET scan or spinal uh, spinal fluid, prior to a treatment with an anti-amyloid therapy. An amyloid PET scan is useful for its negative predictive value in particular because the absence of amyloid in an individual with symptoms of Alzheimer's disease is highly suggestive of Alzheimer's disease not being the underlying pathology. On the other hand, the positive predictive value is not as helpful because about 30% of cognitively normal older adults at the age of 75 have elevated amyloid on PET scans, because they meet criteria for preclinical Alzheimer's disease so presence of pathology without symptoms finally i want to talk about the role of biomarkers in the assessment of uh, diag- and diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease dementia the first question i'm going to answer is what biomarkers exist and how can you detect them so there's phospho tau total tau and amyloid A-beta, in particular, the amyloid A-beta 1 to 42 uh, uh, peptide that are the core Alzheimer's disease biomarkers. When we see low A-beta in the spinal fluid and blood, blood, it corresponds with elevated amyloid on PET scans, while elevated phospho-tau in the spinal fluid and blood corresponds with elevated tau on PET scans. Finally, total tau, is a non-specific marker of neurodegeneration, and it is measured in the spinal fluid, and that cor- uh, that corresponds with various uh, markers of neurodegeneration on imaging, such as the FDG PET scan, or potentially just atrophy that we see on MRI. Currently, amyloid and tau PET scans are FDA approved for the use of cognit- uh, for the use in cognitively impaired patients, but they are not covered by insurance, and therefore they're really not used clinically that much. On the other hand, CSF A beta 142 to 140 ratio is FDA approved and is covered by insurance. And while CSF phosphotau and total tau are not FDA approved, they're covered by insurance as well. And therefore, the CSF measures are used clinically more widely, although primarily by specialists. Finally, Serum or blood A-beta and phosphotau are not FDA approved yet, and they're also not covered by insurance yet, and therefore they're not used clinically currently. So, how do these biomarkers uh, biomarker levels differ in people who have either mild cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's disease dementia compared to healthy older adults who are not cognitively impaired, and how do they change over the course of the disease? So amyloid is elevated in about 30% of cognitively normal older adults at the age of 75, and it's elevated in about 50 to 65% of those with amnestic mild cognitive impairment, and elevated at about 80 to 85% of those with a clinical diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease dementia. There's a similar pattern that we see with tau, but in the entorhinal cortex and inferior temporal region. However... When you move on to mild cognitive impairment, we also see spread of tau to the lateral temporal region and occasionally to other cortical regions. And by the time you get to Alzheimer's disease dementia, the tau spreads throughout the cortex. Amyloid amyloid elevation hits saturation much earlier in the disease course, often by the time somebody already has mild cognitive impairment, while tau continues to spread from medial temporal to limbic to cortical regions as described above. Are biomarkers required for Alzheimer's disease uh, diagnoses? And when are they useful? So biomarkers are not required for a clinical diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease according to the NIAAA diagnostic criteria. However, they are supportive of the diagnosis and can help confirm or refute the underlying pathology. When do you refer patients for biomarker testing? So we often refer patients for biomarker testing when they're relatively young, for example, when they're 50 years old, they have an atypical presentation, for example, logopenic primary progressive aphasia or posterior cortical atrophy, Well, they have an early clinical diagnosis early in the disease course, such as mouth cognitive impairment, and they want to know more information about the underlying pathology and their prognosis. Thank you for listening to this Prime Ed podcast. We hope you learned something useful today. If you haven't completed the associated Adopt-Ed activity this podcast is based on, please check out the session page for this podcast on primed.com for more information. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description, where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit.